So today's week two of our of our series that we called uh, we have called Roadmap to Maturity. Um, I do need to share with you, and I shared with my small group on Wednesday. This is uh, I, I truly believe that this is God's direction for our church at this time, and it is just going to be the the beginning of something uh, that we are going to uh, start start uh, moving forward that we're, we'll be announcing within the next few weeks because it can't it can't stop here it can't stop here it is God's will for us to, for each of us to grow in him uh, and each of us to reach a level of maturity that can only be attained through him so today I want to speak on the subject prioritizing his presence prioritizing his presence and we're going to get uh to a few verses of scripture in, in just the next little while. But I want to begin by telling you that we are all challenged to grow. We're all challenged to grow. And, and last week we found out that it's about training and not trying. I can tell you that I could go and run a marathon tomorrow and try my absolute hardest, but it wouldn't make a difference I would still be dead somewhere on the side of the road on, on Andrews Highway because trying isn't enough. But if I worked over the next several months and I devoted myself for a specific goal and if I started eating less of what I love to eat right now and eating more of the things that I really should be eating, I would increase my endurance and my stamina would change, and I could train myself to finish in a way that I would hope so. So when I look at that analogy, and when I understand the, the, the necessary components of it, I understand that training spiritually is, there's a lot of similar, uh, there's a lot of overlap that takes place. Spiritual disciplines are tools that help us grow into more of who God made us to be. Can I say that one more time? Spiritual disciplines are tools that help us grow into more of who God made us to be. Have you ever been challenged? That's, this is a rhetorical question that you can answer in the privacy of your own heart. Have you ever been challenged and done nothing about it? Maybe last week you walked out of here pumped and passionate about spending time with God daily. Maybe you even stopped on your way home and purchased a pen and a notebook and placed your Bible right next to your bed. So it would be the first thing that you would see when your alarm goes off 15 minutes earlier than normal. And it went great on Monday, but then on Tuesday, you're a little bit more tired because you stayed up a little bit later. So you press snooze twice on your alarm. You had five minutes to skim through the passage before getting ready for work. And let's not even talk about Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So before we go on today and before I move forward, I want to address the elephant in the room. Why is it that we often struggle with making time with God a priority? Why is it that we often struggle with making time for God 
a priority. It's four letters, one word, B-U-S-Y. I've yet to meet someone who responds to the question, how are you, with the reply, well, for starters, I'm not very busy. How do I know if I'm too busy? You may be asking yourself. Well, here are a few questions that maybe convict you, that maybe make you feel bad. I, I, I really don't know, but I'll ask them. Are you haunted by the fear that there are not enough hours in the day to do what needs to be done? Haunted by that. Do you find yourself nodding faster when listening to someone else to encourage the talker to accelerate through, through the points that they're trying to tell you? How about this one? You may be too busy if when you are approaching a stoplight and there are two lanes, do you find yourself guessing which lane will go faster? Very guilty. I'll tell you, if there's an 18-wheeler, I'm going to the opposite. I love truck drivers. My dad's a truck driver, but you know, they take a while to accelerate. And we got places to go. You may be too busy if at the grocery store, if you have a choice between two checkout lines, do you find yourself counting each person in each line and assessing how many items are in their cart? And then do you watch the line to make sure that you chose the correct one? And if you're like me, you've said, I should have stayed in that line. <laughs> You may be too busy if anyone has ever said to you, I don't want to trouble you because I know how busy you are. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then today is for you. Today is for me. Because I know a lot of you may be thinking, yeah, yeah, I know I'm too busy. And you're going to say some things that are going to make me feel guilty for a little bit about being busy. And I'll get convicted about slowing down a little bit and making time for God, but then tomorrow will come around, and when life happens, you know, it's, that's just the way it goes. You may just look at me straight in the face and say, you don't know and understand the stuff that I have going on in my life. I just can't stop being busy. I've got good news for you, and I'm, going, I'm not going to give you a lecture today on being less busy. So you can take a deep breath and, and put your purse back down. Don't head for the door just yet. I'm not taking you on a guilt trip this morning. And one of the reasons why is because Jesus was busy. Jesus was busy. In fact, today we're going to look at a 24 hours time span in the life of Jesus. And when I look at his life, when I look at the life of my creator, my master, I can see that Jesus got stuff done. Even though he was busy, even though he was occupied, even though he had places to go and people to tend to, he got stuff done. And you may ask the question, how is that even possible? Well, today we're going to look at one of the most fascinating passages in the Bible and learn one principle. We're going to extract from that one principle that if I can apply to my daily life, it can be the game changer that you are looking for in your life to be able to slow down and have the interaction with God that he longs to have with you. So we're going to look at a day in the life and the ministry of Jesus. It takes 
place in a village that we know as Capernaum, and it's in Mark chapter 1, and we're going to read through several scriptures. Mark chapter 1, verse 21 says this, Jesus and his companions went into the town of Capernaum when the Sabbath day came. He went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religion. Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. At that the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. This passage starts on the Sabbath. That was Saturday in the Jewish culture. It was known of the, as the day of not working. But listen to what Jesus had planned that day he gets up to speak and when he speaks the people are just so amazed to, to hear him that right in the middle as he's getting some momentum the text says that a man in their synagogue this guy was part of their normal community just has a burst out bursts out should i say and jesus looks at him and says be quiet come out of him the guy starts shaking in the aisle and the spirit comes out of him now, if Jesus didn't have the people's attention, I'm sure I'm positive he had it at this point. And while this story of Jesus is an extreme case, can I just point out that sometimes we get so busy with the urgent. Sometimes it just feels like we're dealing with triage time and time again. You're in the middle of something important. You're in the middle of a task. You're goal-oriented. You're taking care of what you need to, but then you get a call. Then you get a text, then you get an email, and you just need to drop everything and deal with it. If this ever happens to you, Jesus can relate. Listen to what happens next. Verse 29, after Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away, so he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and he helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. They go to Peter's mother-in-law's house. She's ill. She has a fever. She's in, she's in a very difficult situation. Jesus walks in and attends to her, grabs her by the hand, and she is healed at that moment. She is healed at that moment. Some scholars wonder, if Peter later in life denied Jesus three times because he healed his mother-in-law. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I'm glad that Jesus heals mother-in-laws. But you, you ask yourself the question, how does this play into it? Sometimes we're just too busy and, and our families need us. Sometimes too, we're too busy with different responsibilities and our families have something that we need to confront head on. And be there and deal with it. Jesus is helping out his friend, Peter, 
and, and the family situation that he is dealing with. So if you find yourself in the middle of chaos and, and dealing and having to deal with family responsibilities, can I tell you that Jesus can relate to that? Can relate to that. Verse 32 tells us, That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Look what the passage says that evening. That evening. We started in verse 21. We're in verse 32. And it's saying that evening, so this is all taking place in the same day. All occurring in the same day after sunset. The whole town comes out. News spread fast about this man named Jesus that's doing some miraculous works. And the Bible does tell us that Jesus was fully God, but it also says that he was fully man. So we have to understand that there was a component of him that grew tired, that he was weary. We read in many places in the scripture that, that he was tired and he was weary. You have to think that this was one of those days he's been ministering in the synagogue. Now he's ministering to people. People are bringing him. We read on one account when Jesus performed a miracle, when the woman with the issue of blood touched him and virtue came out of him, power came out of him. So that has to drain him. And we don't know how late. We don't know how late he has stayed out. But you, you can guess that it's possibly after 10, after 11, and Jesus is busy with everybody else's needs. He's busy with everybody. Have you ever felt like all you do is just helping one person after another, after another, and after another? If you're a parent in the room, every parent knows feeling. And if so, can I tell you that Jesus can relate to you too? Can you picture Jesus and his disciples finally walking away after a long day of ministry, maybe even staggering away to the place that they were going to rest, sleep that evening? They had quite a day. And if someone says to you that Jesus wasn't busy, you should just tell them to read the Bible because you can check out the next few verses that is really where I want to zero in on, where we find the secret. Verse 35, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Jesus got up while it's still dark. After just a few hours of sleep, we don't know exactly how many, he got up, he left the other disciples, who I'm sure were out cold. He went to a solitary place. He got to a place where there were no distractions, a place where he could really just concentrate on what was the most important thing in his life. And that's what I want to point out today, that find that place with no distractions, where you're able to fully concentrate 
on him. We see through this scripture, through this text, that Jesus is in constant communication with the Father. For Jesus, this time was not just helpful for him in life, it was imperative for him. It was imperative for him if he was going to live out the mission that he was on this planet to live out. Can I tell you that it is just as vital for you and I to have that communication with the Father if we are going to live out our purpose that he has put us on earth for. Look at Mark 1, 36. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. How did the disciples know that everyone was looking for Jesus? Well, let's use some context clues. They must have first walked through the town. Why did they first go through the town? Why did they first go back to Capernaum? Because that's where they expected Jesus to be. Why would they expect Jesus to be back in Capernaum with all these people? I don't know the answer to that. But I would have made the same mistake that Peter would have made if I would have gotten up. I would have thought Capernaum was going to be the first place. The disciples went back into that town first. Because after everything that Jesus had done the day before, they wake up, they notice he's gone. The first thought I'm sure that crossed their mind is, I guess he just wanted to get an early start. But Jesus doesn't go where Peter thought he was at. Jesus doesn't go where I would have thought he was at. This is huge. Look at what verse 38 says. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach them too. This, that is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, casting out demons. You have to think all the disciples fully expected that they would spend that next day in Capernaum. Maybe even the next week. Because they had been so well received in that place. There was a lot of progress being made. There was great things taking place. Perhaps Jesus alluded to that idea in their conversation. I don't know. But here in the morning, Jesus has different plans. And he shares them with the disciples. He has different plans. Why did Jesus have different plans than the rest, you may ask? Well, I can use the process of elimination. He was the only one that got up and spent time in solitude with the Father. He was the only one that got up to have a God encounter. Can I tell you that there's a difference between a good idea and a God idea? A huge difference. Going back to Capernaum made sense on paper. It would have been a really good idea because there was people there that needed, but it wasn't the direction that Jesus had for the next chapter. Jesus was the only one who was capable of knowing the difference because he was the only one that made made it a priority to spend time listening to God. What was the difference for Jesus amid his crazy schedule, his busy schedule? I can tell you that he made time to be with the Father first. Can I tell you that we are on a journey for us to be a church that prays first? 
There's enough people that worry. There's enough people that get anxious. There's enough people that grow frustrated. Can I tell you, why don't we take it all to God in prayer? He made time with the Father first. And can I tell you that if you let God's word speak to you daily, you will begin to see him work in your life like you've never seen him work before. If you let God's work, word work in your life, if you actually can just slow down to be quiet, then God can start changing you from the inside out. God can start changing me from the inside out. If you start applying what you read, he will start changing you to become more and more like him. And that is the whole goal for us to be like him. I want to be more like Jesus. I want people to see us at the grocery store, see us pumping gas, see us at our favorite restaurants and say, there's something different about you. It, it, I, I can tell that you've been with Jesus. Not for it, not for art, not for us uh, to be able to have some sort of reputation, but that's because that's why we're here on our on earth, uh, so that people could see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's all that matters. He is the one. He made time with the Father. When we make time to listen to him, we position ourselves where he wants us. So I want to walk through three things Jesus did here in this passage. Three takeaways for you and me that enabled him to not just live a life that was driven by good ideas, but it was to live a life that was personally and vibrantly directed by God's voice. There are three disciplines that the theologian Richard Foster outlines, and the first is this. I'm going to go quickly through them. The first is the discipline of solitude. So if you're taking notes, write that down. If you're not taking notes, write that down anyway. The discipline of solitude, I'm about to draw to a close, Pastor Israel. The discipline of solitude. Look what Mark 136 says again. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. And he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus lived in inward heart solitude. We normally don't. One of our greatest fears as humans is loneliness. Our fear of being alone drives us to noise and crowds. Constantly dealing with FOMO. We keep up a constant stream of words from our smartphones that have all of the world's facts at the push of a button. Some of y'all don't know the stroke. I grew up reading encyclopedias. It's crazy. All of our closest friends constantly posting what they just ate on Facebook and keeping up with that that it is nearly impossible to find some silence to be alone with God. God calls us from loneliness to solitude. There's a difference. Loneliness or clatter is not only 
the options available, but we can cultivate an inner solitude and silence that sets us free from loneliness and fear. Because can I tell you that loneliness is inner emptiness, but solitude is inner fulfillment. For us, we must understand the connection between inner solitude and inner silence because these two are inseparable. God grows us in the ability to listen when we train ourselves. There's that word again, to constantly fill our minds with his word and not to fill our minds with the noise of this world. We must together seek out the recreating stillness of solitude. And that is even more true today than ever before, that if we are going to really get to a place in our relationship with God, that we can just shut the noise down. We learn through an encounter that Elijah had, the prophet Elijah had with God, that our maker does not speak through the fire, through the wind. In this one particular instance, he speaks in a still, small whisper that can only be heard when it's quiet enough, that when we're still enough, where we can say, I'm here, speak to me. And you may think, that sounds nice, but you don't know my life. It's crazy, it's hectic, it's busy, it's loud. If my cell phone isn't ringing, it's because I have it on silent mode and it's buzzing. The kids are screaming, my boss is yelling, it's always something else. Can I give you just a few ways to practice the discipline of solitude in your life? The first we can do is take advantage of the little solitudes that fill your day. Maybe it's that early morning, that moment that you have before the kids are up and before your spouse is up, that you just have alone with God as you sip your coffee. Maybe it's your commute to work or your commute back home. Or maybe it's discovering the solitude when you're waiting in the line at Starbucks or sitting at your work desk just before you open up your calendar and open up the email that you would take advantage of that tiny pocket of time that we often lose and can easily get lost and distracted that we would redeem this time that we would just slow down and say speak Lord your servants listening The second thing we learn is this, the discipline of submission. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. It's almost as if Jesus is saying out loud here, not only for the disciples to hear, but for himself as well. And I can picture Jesus the night before excited about perhaps going to Capernaum because he was so well received. After this time, Jesus' plans changed. The Father had reminded him that he was on a mission not to reach this status in Capernaum, no, but to preach the good news to everyone that had not heard it yet. 
And this is why this is so important for, for me, because what I can know for certain is what took place in that conversation when he gets up earlier before the disciples and he spends time alone with God. The one thing that is evident is that there is clear direction on what is next. And I don't know about you, but I want to live in that state. And I want you to live in that state. I want it for you. That we would just have that clear direction from God. God builds in us the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way that we could say, yeah, Capernaum sounded real nice, but you know what? I want to do what you want me to do. I want to go where you want me to go. The obsession of demanding that things go our way is one of the greatest bondages in human society today. I'll say that one more time. The obsession of demanding that things go our way is one of the largest bondages in human society today. People can spend weeks, months, or even years Obsessed with something so small that didn't go our way. But with the discipline of submission, we are released to drop the matter and to surrender it to God. Can I tell you that God wants us to grow in the peaceful realization that most things in life are not major issues. But sometimes it's just the, the little things that wear us out. Unfortunately, because we lack in this area, marriages often end in divorce and families get fractured. But in the practicing the discipline of submission, we are free, free at last, to value other people. That their dreams, that their hopes would become important to me as well. We have a freedom to give up our own rights for the good of others and to actually reach this place that God wants for us to love people with an agape love, unconditionally. Jesus was the ultimate example of living a life full of submission because even in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see him pray and he says, if it's possible, let this cup pass by me. In other words, he was saying, if it's possible, for me to avoid the cross, can I avoid it? But he says this, not my will be done, but yours be done. I want that same strength too. That I say, not my will, but your will. And here are some really simple ways to practice the discipline of submission. That you can pray this each day. That you would just say, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life today. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my family today. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my job today. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my words today. And could we just say, your kingdom come, your will be done in my thoughts today. After you've fully submitted all the parts of your day to God, we can move on to the next 
and final one that we learn from Jesus in this passage, and it's called the discipline of service. The discipline of solitude, the discipline of submission, and the discipline of service. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues. Jesus didn't finish his quiet time and just checked off an imaginary box, meaning he did his Christian duty for the day. No, he left that morning on a mission. He didn't just look for opportunities to come to him. He walked into each village ready to bless whoever he came in contact with. There are two kinds of people in this world. In this aspect, there's the here I am kind of people and the there you are kind of people. Jesus lived a life of serving other people. The here I am person walks into the room and wants to make sure that everybody knows the party has arrived. It's a person that when you talk to that you just tell them you ate M&M's, they tell you I just ate M&M and M's, you know. I remember they once said of, of Theodore Roosevelt, his daughter was actually the one that said this, that he had to be the bride at every wedding and he had to be the corpse at every funeral. Some of us can relate. But to Jesus, it wasn't here I am. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. The there you are person walks in the room looking for those who are isolated, looking for those that need someone to just put their arm around them and say, hey, I'm here with you. The there you are person looks in and sees those that are disconnected and bridges the gap and says, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to love you right where you're at. They go out of their way to make the person feel that they're the most important person in this room. They ask great questions and they're able to associate, identify with what they're going through, listen intently, and they're able to lift other people's spirits. You might think, and you might say right now that this doesn't sound so much like a discipline, it just sounds like something that any good Christian should do. But when you've spent time in solitude in God's presence and you've been quiet enough to hear his voice, he actually fills you up to be able to overflow to others. That's good. But when you spent time in solitude in God's presence and been quiet enough to hear his voice, he fills you up to overflow to others. Look at what 2 Corinthians 1 says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. 
He comforts us in all our troubles. And why? Look, look what he says. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Amen. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Jesus, being filled, he was now able to love on everyone he came in contact with every day. Well, this sounds good. It's not natural. It's not natural for us as humans, for us to look constantly out of our own good. But what if each day, well, what if each day you made it a point to somehow uplift somebody that you come in contact with? Can you imagine the change that you would make that out of the overflow in your life and in your heart that you're able to flow on to overflow to others and love on people and care for people and, and pray for people right then and there that we would be able to be that John Maxwell calls it the 32nd rule. I shared this in prayer huddle this morning, that he disciplines himself that in the first 30 seconds of a conversation, that he is conversing with someone to build that person up. The first 30 seconds, intentionally, I'm going to build you up. You look great today. You did incredible. You... you what a wonderful job. What, it, what does it look like for you? Can you imagine if we had that same discipline? We would have a magnetic personality that would draw people to us. But more importantly, because the people see that in us, they're able to see God. And they're able to come in contact with the love of the Heavenly Father that loves them with a reckless love. People flocked to Jesus. People flocked to Jesus. So that's it. Solitude, submission, serving. So what would it look like if you incorporated these three into your day starting tomorrow? I got one minute and 50 seconds, and I just need to share that there are some serious consequences. That if we don't live this out, and there's serious consequences that if we allow the busyness to rule our lives, there are physical consequences. Over two-thirds of medical office visits, over two-thirds of medical office visits are due to busyness and stress-related issues. There are hundreds of billions of dollars that are spent every single year to medicate people who are addicted to being driven. The whole I'll sleep when I'm dead mentality. Dr. Joel Elks from the University of Louisville said this, our mode of life itself, the way we live, is emerging as today's principal cause of illness. There are relational consequences also. I'm not asking you, I'm, I'm not asking anybody to make catastrophic I'm not telling you to quit your job. Can, can I want to go on the record and say, I'm not telling you to quit your job. 
All the wives in the, uh, you can relax. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, what would your life look like if you just took 15 minutes a day? I can afford 15 minutes a day. Can you afford 15 minutes a day? Just 15 minutes a day to start off with. Maybe for the one who's already at an hour, it goes to an hour and 15. What, do, what does it look like to grow in your, there's relational consequences. When you study the top reasons for divorce and broken families in our nation, many point back to the stress and the abnormal busyness of our world. And can I just ask the question, how many more relationships need to suffer before we place God in the rightful place that he needs to be first in our lives? And finally, there are spiritual consequences. Like the disciples, you can do a lot of good things. I can do a lot of good things. We can do a lot of good things. But we can miss all the great things that he wants to do in us and through us. Somewhere along the way, we got it all mixed up. Because the truth is that God is not desperate for what you and I can do for him. But we should, I should be desperate for what he can do in me and through me. That I would come to him and I would say, God, I'm desperate for what you can do in my life. Last passage of scripture. Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill, watch what it says, his good purpose. When we work out our salvation, God works to fulfill all the good purposes he has for your life. When we work out our salvation, God works to fulfill all the good purposes he has for your life. So the next move is our move. So the next move is your move. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word that never returns void, but that always accomplishes what it sets out to do. I thank you that though the message was one today, you can say something different to each of us in this house because you, your word locates us. It finds us right where we're at. Your word is quick and it is powerful. And it can change hearts and it can change minds. God, that we would rise to the challenge today. That we would rise to the challenge today, that we would say, you know what? I want to be all that God wants me to be, and nothing less. God, that there would just be an awakening in me, and an awakening in us, that we would say, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to have time with you in solitude, and I know that you will take care of the rest. I know that if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else will be added to me. I know that putting you first, God. So some of us in this place say, we're sorry. We're sorry that you haven't been first. We're sorry that we've chased after other things and that we've looked other places. God, we look to you. You are the source. 
You're the author, you're the finisher, you're the beginning, you're the end, you're the alpha, you're the omega. We look to you first. Let us rise to the challenge today. Let us rise to the challenge in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, I don't want to close without giving you an opportunity to do so. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, we read through Scripture time and time again of His relentless love that pursues us, that chases us. He is the God that will leave the 99 and He'll go after the one. And today that may be you. If you're here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus, I want you to know that He, he thinks that much of you. That we will interrupt the service, that we will pause, and we will say, you can give him a chance. You can give your life to him today. If that is you, and you say, I'm tired of trying to do things on my own, and you're, you're tired of carrying the guilt, the shame, the frustration, you need a savior. And his name is Jesus. That is you today. You say, today's the day I want to give my life to Jesus. That you would just raise your hand. You don't have to come up to the front. But that as a sign of submission, that you would just raise your hand right where you're at. I see you. You're that important to him. Would everyone at the sound of my voice pray this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I admit I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Come into my heart. Change me from the inside out. Let me live the life you died to give me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God praise for those that received him today? God bless you.